the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. He who received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. He who had been given two talents went and made two talents more. But the one who had been given one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. And he who had been given the five talents came forward with the five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. See, I have made five talents more. And his master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. And he who had received the two talents came forward saying, master, you delivered to me two talents. See, I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who received the one talent came forward and said, Master, I know you're a hard man, reaping where you do not sow and scattering where you ha- gathering where you have not scattered seed. And so I was afraid, and I went and hid your money in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. And the master said to him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I do not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you should have taken my money and invested it with the bankers that when I returned I would have had what was mine returned to me with interest. Well, Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For whoever has, more will be given and even an abundance. But from the one who has none, even what he has will be taken away. And take that wasteful, worthless servant and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Father, we believe that you inspired Matthew when he recorded this parable of Jesus. And we believe that these words of Jesus not only had power in Matthew's day, but they have power today if we will hear them, if we will have ears to hear And so, Father, we pray by your Holy Spirit that you would open this text to us and open our ears and open our hearts, perhaps as never before, that we would be changed more and more to be like Christ. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. I want to be more faithful with what God has given me. I want to be more faithful with what God has given me. One of my heroes is a man who up until 2004 was a rather unknown Anglican bishop in a rather remote part of Eastern Canada. After a long life of ministry, this bishop was settling into his well-earned retirement. He was retiring in a region where bishops are held in high regard But then great apostasy arose within the Anglican church 
and biblically orthodox clergy were being defrocked by heretical bishops. This retired bishop knew that he had before him a moment of decision. What would he do? Well, you'll have to find out what he did at the end of the sermon. I want to be more faithful with what God has given me. When I hear this parable, maybe like you, I begin to worry that maybe I'm that third servant who's buried his talent in the ground. And I'll just say right up front, I am, and so are you. On a regular basis, we are burying the talents in the ground. Oh, there's moments when we're that first servant and that second servant, but there are many moments in our walk with Jesus when we are that servant burying that talent in the ground. And it really doesn't end well for that servant, does it? Verse 30, it's kind of a real damper at the end of that story. Throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is not a bedtime story for your kids. Parables actually are never meant to be that. Parables from Jesus are not illustrations, they're not little kids' stories. These are evocative stories that are meant to bring about a response. When Jesus tells his parables, at the end of it, if we're listening, we have to respond. Even when they end with this pretty scary ending. I like how Dale Bruner says, Jesus loves human beings and wants to save them from messed up lives and messed up eternities, and that's why he tells his scary stories. And yet the parable has incredible good news. Incredible good news. There's incredible news here for wicked and slothful servants who bury their talent in the ground. But to get there, we've got to unpack what Jesus is showing us about being faithful with what we've been given. As we open up this parable, we see three things that Jesus is showing us about what it means to be human. What does it mean to be a person who God has gifted? And by the way, this is for every human being. Every human being, whether they know Jesus or don't yet know Jesus, they have all been gifted with stuff, with life, with opportunity, just like the servants in this parable. What Jesus is showing us is there's three things we need to know, first of all. We need to know that we are regents. Regents. It's a word we don't use very often. Sometimes we say steward. But a regent, one who is giving oversight to something that's not theirs. Right? A responsibility. We are regents over what's been given to us. But we're not just regents. We're also regents over something that's really big. What we've been given is really, really big. Regents over something really big. But not only are we regents over something really big, but ultimately this whole story of being regents, this life of discipleship is readying us for something even more. See, it's not just that we're regents over something really big, but it's all about readying us for something even bigger. So first, we're regents. This parable shows us that we're regents. We've got to remember the context of this sermon is it's Jesus' last sermon to his disciples. 
Last week, we had the parable of the virgins, right, who were waiting, the bridesmaids who were waiting for the bridegroom. And that story, as Father Brian opened up, of us being willing to wait, be expectant and waiting. And now we've got the parable of the talents. Next week, we get the sheep and the goats. That's a light story. And after this, Jesus will be, will be anointed in Bethany. He will celebrate Passover with his friends. And then he'll be betrayed and crucified. This is the end. It's the end of Jesus' teaching. He's about to leave his disciples and he knows he's about to go away. Isn't it therefore not shocking that verse 14 begins with this? For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property and then he went away. See, Jesus is talking about himself. Right from the beginning of this parable, if we've got ears to hear, we realize Jesus is the master here, leaving, about to leave, and entrusting his servants, his followers, his disciples, with what's his. You see, that word entrusted in verse 14. Entrusted, it means to be given trust, right? Given oversight, given responsibility. Jesus is giving to his disciples the responsibility over something that is not theirs. It's his. Now, at one level, he's talking about his mission. He's talking about the gospel, about taking it to the world. But as we open up this parable more, we realize what he's really talking about is absolutely everything that makes up our life. That we realize that we've been given everything. There's nothing that we have that has not been given to us by God. Our very life, our opportunities... Yes, our money, everything we have, our abilities, it's all a gift from God. And we are regents, we are stewards, we are taking care of what God has gifted us. All that they have, these servants have, is the masters. I like that it's Thanksgiving this week, because as a Canadian, that means I get to have two Thanksgivings every year. Right? We already had one in October, and now we get another one this week. My parents are here this week, so we get to celebrate Thanksgiving with them. Uh, you can blame them for bringing the cold Canadian weather. And I know that my blood is already thinning, the fact that I think this is cold weather. <laughs> but what's great about Thanksgiving is that we have an opportunity to remember that everything we have is a gift from God. That's what Thanksgiving is. We give thanks to God for everything. Everything that we have is a gift. And these servants are meant to know that. But what I love about this regency, they're regents, they're stewards, is this regency is not a regency of maintenance. This is not a regency that just says, I'm giving you these things, hang on to them, protect them, make sure there's no harm. No, this is a regency of expansion. This is a regency of investment. This is a regency of growing exponentially. Here's what's expected of these regents. Not that they will bury that talent in the ground to hide it and protect it, but rather that they will do as that first and second servant did, as we read in verse 16. He who'd received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. It literally means he worked them. He took the talents and he worked them. He, he did business with them. He risked with them. He tried stuff with them. He was creative with them. He took what God had given him, what the master had given him, and said, I am going to work this and use this, and I'm going to see it grow. You see, it's not, it's not a strange thing. It's not an unexpected thing 
that these first two servants actually see expansion in their regency. What's a strange thing is that the third servant doesn't have expansion with what he's been given. These gifts are given to grow. They're never given to stay the same. And this, of course, is at the very heart of the whole biblical story, right? What does Israel do? Israel's told back in Genesis 12, Abraham's there. God says to Abraham, you will be my people and I will be your God and I will bless you. And those who bless you, I will bless. And those who curse you, I will curse. But then he says in verse three this, he says, and through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. In other words, expanding blessing. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you that gift so that that gift will expand outward to others. God never gives a gift to us that is meant to stay just for us. It is always meant to be exponential. It's meant to grow. It's meant to bless others. It's the nature of the kingdom. How many times has Jesus used these agricultural symbols of seeds and birds and trees and large plants Because he's talking about what the kingdom of God by nature will do. It will grow. It will expand. And if we are regents over what God has given us, it's a regency of investment and expansion. That's what's expected of these regents. That they will work and use creatively what they've been given to grow it. Some of you know that our diocese The name of our diocese, it's a bit of a mouthful. Our diocese is the Diocese of the Churches for the Sake of Others. It's probably the longest diocesan name in Anglican history. The Diocese for the Churches for the Sake of Others. And we use that acronym C4SO. And it's got the number four in there because we're very hipster in Southern Californian. Um, So C4SO. And, and, and I was at a conference not long ago, actually in, back in, in, in um, June at our uh, assembly, our, our big national assembly. And someone came up to me because they knew I'd come down here and they said, oh, you're at Christchurch. So you're part of the, and the, the, the big joke line's coming. I, and I can just see it in his eyes. I know what's coming. And he says, you're part of that C-3PO diocese. And, you know, I kind of laughed. I was like, yeah, you know, I've, I've, I've never heard that before, right? Of course I have, like every time I turn around. But, you know, I pushed back, actually. He was a friend. I was still generous, but I said, you know, yeah, yeah, I know it's funny, funny name. But I said, you know, at some level, actually, it's a profound name. Right in the core identity of who we are as a diocese, we just stayed up front. We are, exist for the sake of others. And it kind of stopped him up short. He kind of like... Realize maybe in that moment, sure, it's a funny little acronym, but it's certainly not a funny little name. Churches for the sake of others. Christians for the sake of others. This is the kingdom. We exist for the sake of others. What's been given to us is for not just us, but for the sake of others. I mean, look at what's happening today. We've got our Thanksgiving outreach. Well, we're in church right now. Um, some of you have already been here earlier um, boxing up and preparing things and there'll be others that came to early service and they're boxing up things now. 500 meals, Thanksgiving meals will go out into our community to bless those who are in need. 
I mean, and when you think about it, the actual investment there is really small. It does not cost that much to put these together. When we give towards this, when we you know, participate, it doesn't take a whole lot of our time, it doesn't take a whole lot of our money, but look at how expansive the blessing is. A little investment and how that changes a life. Changes a life. There's someone in Plano who actually loves my family and they don't even know me. What does that say? This is the expansive nature of what it means to be regents. We are regents and it is meant to be an expansive, growing regency. But not only are we regents, I want to be faithful with what God has given me. I need to realize it's not just about being a regent, but it's also that what we have is actually really, really big. It's really big. Uh, Verse 15, Jesus says that to the one he gave five talents, to another two and another one, to each according to his ability. Now a talent, scholars have gone back and forth on this, and and basically the best definition we can have of a talent, it's a monetary unit, unit that basically works out to be about 20 years of average wages. 20 years of wages is one talent. And so when Jesus says to the one, the one gets five talents, that's 100 years worth of wages. To the one who gets two, it's 40 years of wages. And even the one who just gets the one, oh, I just got one, 20 years of wages. The point is this, it's an enormous number. It's a crazy investment. Jesus uses this to try and say, you can't even begin to imagine how much of a gift God has given you, how much opportunity, how much potential he's put into your life for expanding his kingdom in the world. You, have, you can't even begin to imagine. I'll, I'll just call it a talent. It's massive. But see, what we often do, I don't know if, if you're like this, we often start getting caught up in the numbers. Like, well, am I in this parable the guy with five talents? Or am I that number two talent guy? Or am I the one? And why did I get the one? Because I'm much more faithful than that guy with the five over there. I mean, we start doing that, don't we? Right? We start comparing. Where do I sit? And that's missing the point of the parable. The point of the parable is what God has given to each of us. Each of us. Every one of us is enormous. It's a, it's a ridiculous sized investment into our lives of potential, of possibility. Now, again, sure, we can think of money, right? But also, it's not just money. It's, we, we talk about time, talents, treasures. I like how Dale Bruner, speaking of the money aspect of this, says, you know, few activities index true or false faith as clearly as our use of money. But whatever the talent is, it is whatever the Lord gives you now and will ask about later. Whatever the talent is, it's what the Lord gives you now and is going to ask you about later. I like that in verse 21 and 23, the one who has five talents and gets a net value of 10 and the one who has two talents and gets a net value of four, the master in verse 21 and 23 says these words identically to both. Well done, good and faithful servant, You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So there's no distinction from the master about what size it was 
what your particular circumstances was. What matters was well done, good and faithful servant. You have faithfully worked what I've given you. See, what we have as regents is really, really big. And the problem is we often don't see it, do we? We often have a diminished view of what God has put into our lives. Oh, little me, poor me, I don't have much, you know. I just do a little bit. God can't do much in my life. And yet if we believe the gospel, what does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 11? Jesus says this crazy thing in Matthew chapter 11. You know, John the Baptist's ministry, this amazing ministry, and you think of all the Old Testament prophets and their incredible ministry, Elijah, Isaiah, Ezekiel. And then in, John, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says this. He says, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Like he's the greatest man who ever lived. All the prophets, all the rest. And then he says this. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What Jesus is saying to us is we so badly diminish the potential of what God has put in our lives. If we will say yes to his action in our lives, the impact that we can have is talent-sized. It's enormous. It's ridiculously large. I like how Bishop Bill Atwood, one of our Anglican Church in North America bishops, who lives just up the road, his granddaughter goes to the same school as our girls. Um, he was in South Sudan not long ago. And as he was visiting, he was meeting with the Archbishop of South Sudan. And of course, South Sudan, I mean, war-ravaged country, very poor. People are dying. And, and Bishop Bill said to the Archbishop of Sudan, he said, he said you know, I, I'm so pleased to have time with you. They're having breakfast. And he said, I just have to say, I mean, it must be very hard. This is, this is a very poor country, isn't it? Very poor. And the archbishop uh, looked back at him and said, this is not a poor country. And Bill said, what? And then he pointed to the glass of mango juice that was on the table. And the archbishop said, this mango juice, look at it. We have mango trees everywhere in this country. There are mangoes everywhere. They fall on the roads, they fall on your roofs, they fall everywhere. We are overrun with mangoes in this country, and yet we buy our mango juice from Kenya. He said, we are not poor. We are blind. We are not poor. We are blind. You see, we often can miss what we really have. We can miss how much potential and opportunity God has poured into our lives. Let us not be blind. Let us have eyes to see the possibilities. But not only are we regents over something that's really, really big, but finally, Jesus in all of this regency is readying us for something even bigger. He says uh, to, the, the master says to the servants, the first and second servant in verse 21 and 23, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. Now I will set you over much. And you want to say, a little? I, I thought you just said a talent is massive. 
I mean, a talent is this ridiculously large thing. How can Jesus say, how can the master say, I've set you over little? Is it little or big? Which is it? Well, the point is this. It is enormous. It is really, really big. But in the long story, Jesus is saying, this enormous talent that I've made you region over, you ain't seen nothing yet. This is so small compared to the responsibility that I'm going to give you down the road. That in fact, what I'm doing in this earthly life for you as a disciple, as you are a regent over these really big responsibilities, is I'm readying you for Revelation chapter 22, verse 5. And you'll say, what is Revelation 22, verse 5? It is a strange, beautiful verse that says, after this description of the new heaven and the new earth, speaking of the redeemed creation, us, new humanity because of Jesus, that they will reign forever and ever. It doesn't say he will reign forever and ever. It says they will reign. Humanity, redeemed humanity, will reign over the creation, over the cosmos forever and ever. Elsewhere in Revelation and other places of Scripture, the point is that we will reign with Christ. Seriously, that's what the Bible says. We don't teach this enough. We are promised that in heaven we're not floating around on clouds like a Philadelphia cream cheese commercial. We are reigning over the cosmos with Christ. Let me give you an example. Another really strange verse is 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is one of those verses that rarely gets preached because it's about women wearing head coverings in church. And it's one of those things that honestly, the reason it often doesn't get preached is because I've studied this again and again with others. And I'll tell you, there's about 16 different ways you can interpret that passage. At the end of the day, I'll just put my hands up and say, I don't know what Paul's talking about. It's scripture, it's God's word, but I don't know what it means. But here's what it does mean. Whatever it means about, you know, whether it's the authority of their husband or their own authority, whatever it means, listen to verse 10. All of this lines up with verse 10, which says, that is why a wife ought to wear a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. At which point you say, What? Because of the, where did the angels get involved in this? What do the angels have to do with this? And all of a sudden you begin to realize as you read scripture that the angels, whatever this passage is about, it's about basically decorum and the community treating each other well and functioning in a, in a healthy way. That They're saying do this ultimately for the sake of the angels because guess what? The angels are watching you. They're watching you right now. And guess what they're watching they're watching you because they know that one day you, y'all, are going to rule over them. The angels are going to be ruled over by humanity. The angels are not the crowning point of creation. Oh, when I die, I'm going to go become an angel. No, you're not. When you die in Christ, you are going to go reign over the angels with Christ. It has always been so. Every created being has been placed under humanity, under Christ, because he is the new Adam. Jesus is now, with what we've been given in this life, made us regents, stewards, responsible for something really big in our lives. 
And it's for a purpose that we would grow with the character and ability that one day we will be able to reign with him over creation. I want to be faithful. I want to be more faithful to what God has given me. But I don't know about you, at this point, it's kind of like, all right, regent, really big, it's readying me for something even bigger. I feel kind of condemned right now. I feel like, man, I really am that guy that's burying that talent in the ground. Or at least I regularly fall that into that place. It's heavy at this point. It's kind of like, wow, now I've been shown this enormous thing that I'm called to do, but I don't know if I can do it. At least I know I'm going to fail at it again and again. And that's where we find hope as I close for those slothful and wicked servants. See, Jesus puts right in here the hope for our failures to do this. And it's right in that scary verse. Remember that verse at the end? A terrible, scary verse. Verse 30, that wicked servant, what is to be done with him? Cast that servant into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Outer darkness is a description of absolute abandonment. Darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a biblical way of saying you are rejected, you are in the darkness, you are alone, you are condemned. It's a language of total rejection. But here's the amazing thing. Again and again through this parable, Jesus has used a key word that's meant to perk up our ears. This is a story about servants. Servant, 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 servant. It comes up again and again in the text. And see, servant language is a language that was used of Israel. That Israel was called and the church is called to be a faithful servant of the Lord. Right? To live faithfully, to be this, these regents who would find this really big gift that's been given to us and see it expand and grow. But Israel, just like the church, failed again and again. And just like you and I fail again and again to be faithful stewards. And so, as the world is longing, as Israel's longing for redemption, in the book of Isaiah... There's these beautiful songs that begin emerging about the Messiah. And they're called the servant songs. Chapter 42, my servant shall act justly. Chapter 49, chapter 50, chapter 52 and 53. And all of a sudden, Isaiah begins to paint a picture of the Messiah, this coming one, this one who's called a servant, the true servant. And this servant will sort of stand in the place of the servants that have failed. This servant will do what Israel was never able to do. And we read those words in Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. And then chapter 53, he was pierced for our transgressions, our failures. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We all have turned, every one to his own way. We've all been wicked, slothful servants, unfaithful. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, all of this servant language 
followed by the language of outer darkness, points us to two chapters from now. See, Jesus is this suffering servant. Jesus is the faithful servant when we are not. And only two chapters ahead from here, in chapter 27, verse 45 and 46, we hear the language of outer darkness. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, the servant, cast into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, Jesus is the servant that gets thrown into the place of condemnation so that we don't have to. Jesus bears our failures as servants. Jesus bears all that we've done wrong. There's hope for wicked, slothful servants. Jesus is embedding right within this parable the hope of the gospel. Yes, you have buried your talent in the ground, and yes, I have buried my talent in the ground, but Jesus has taken the punishment for our failure and calls us to live again. Live as faithful servants. I want to be faithful, more faithful with what God has given me. We are regents. We've been given something really big. We can't even see it sometimes. And he's readying us for so much more to reign with him. And he takes our failures. One of my heroes is a man who up until 2004 was a rather unknown Anglican bishop in a rather remote part of eastern Canada. After a long life of ministry, this bishop was settling into his well-earned retirement in a region where bishops are held in high esteem, but then great apostasy arose within the Anglican church and biblically orthodox clergy were being defrocked by heretical bishops. And this retired bishop knew he was at a moment of decision and he stood up the only bishop in Canada to do so. And he called heresy, heresy. And he began gathering those defrocked clergy and those alienated congregations. And he began forming a renewed, biblically faithful Anglican church across that country. And I will never forget his voice on the phone the day that I was defrocked from ministry for standing for the gospel. When he called me and he said, Father Paul, this is Bishop Don Harvey. You and your family have been through the fire, but you are now under my care as your new bishop. I will make sure that your ministry continues. In those 10 years after retirement, he traveled over a million miles and built a church across a nation because this man, my hero, understood why his talent had been given to him. Do we? Will we? Will we offer our talents in the service of the Lord? 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.